Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Are you ready for the word today? If y'all feel like hearing it, like I feel like preaching, it's going to be good. In fact, would you do me a favor? Stand up to honor the reading of God's word. Then after that, you can sit down. We have been in a series called Capacity. Oh, I like the way you yelled that, sir. Come on, capacity. We've been talking about this for a while now, saying that you don't know what your capacity is often until a demand is placed on you. We've been saying that capacity is not a destination. Capacity is a journey. As you seek God, he begins to show and reveal things you didn't even know were in you. You don't know your capacity. We've also been saying that our faith has got to put a demand on God's unlimited capacity. So we've been preaching this series, what, since August, since August, but today is the finale. Are you sad? Well, I got more things to preach, but this is the last installation of this series. And if you've missed any message in the series, can I encourage you to go to our YouTube page and watch the rest of them on there? But this is going to be the last one, and it's going to be good. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and say, neighbor, I know this sermon for you. Yeah, say, I don't even know what he's preaching, but I can just tell by the way you're looking, you need a word. So we're going to go to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and I want to look at verses 10 through 13. The book of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. Yeah. If you're not ready, say, hold up. I will wait for you. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse number 10 and go down to verse number 13. Those of you who have been in church a long time, you know this passage. You can quote it because you spiritual like that. Look at what Paul says. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Otherwise, Paul says, don't get it twisted. I'm good. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have, there it is again, learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You weren't impressed. You weren't even impressed with the way I read that. I get paid to read scripture and you weren't even impressed. (laughs) I'm going to preach today in this capacity series just from this thought, lesson learned. Lesson learned. Last time to look at your neighbor and say, ooh, neighbor, lesson learned. Now, if you said that and you were 13, you don't know what you're talking about. You ain't been through nothing. (laughs) Some of us have looked back over some situations and gone, yo, lesson. (laughs) Some of us have dated some people and gone, ooh, lesson. Some of us still dating the same person, but different name and still haven't learned it. But maybe this, 
Stop. Too soon. Bring it back. Bring it back. Lesson learned. <laughs> Stay standing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work today. Uh, speak to our hearts so clearly. Let us truly leave different than the way that we came in. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Lesson learned. Do you remember your favorite subject in school when you were growing up? Remember your favorite subject? I, uh, I vividly remember mine. I want to start off the sermon sounding like I'm bragging, but uh, I was an exemplary student. I was an exemplary student and uh, actually excelled in my favorite subject from K-5 all the way to kindergarten. I excelled in my favorite subject, and that subject was lunch. Absolutely. That was my favorite subject. I'm a straight A lunch student. Matter of fact, I think I had perfect attendance uh, lunch. Never missed a lunch. That was my favorite subject. My second favorite subject, recess. That's my second favorite subject. In fact, I am in favor of bringing recess back. I think we should bring recess in the workplace. Imagine how less stressed you would be if you had recess in the workplace. I think we should bring it back. All in favor, say aye. Yes, let's do it. Can you, can you imagine in the middle of your workday going to recess and that coworker that gets on your nerves and in the middle of the day you get dodgeball recess. You just see them just, just hit them in the head. They're like, what was that? No, don't take it personal. Just recess. I love recess. That was another subject. But there was also one subject in particular that was not my favorite. In fact, this subject for me progressively got harder and harder. This subject caused me so much angst, so much anxiety. This subject would make my hands sweat, my upper lip sweat. This subject would make my heart palpitate. This subject would have me in the middle of the class just staring in the air aimlessly, trying to figure stuff out and then catch the teacher looking at me and he would act like you were adding stuff out. This subject messed me up. You know what I'm talking about. Math, I, I still hate it to this day. I was never good at it. I don't have any aspirations to be good at math, okay? I'm a communicator, not a calculator. I hate math. That's not even its real name. It's mathematics. It's complicated in its name. I, I hate math, never loved it. As a matter of fact, one of my greatest fears right now as a parent, thank God my kids are seven, six, and three. I got easy stuff when they come home with the project or the homework. I get fancy with it now. See, let me tell you something, Evie. It's two plus another two equals four. I'm just real bold, real confident. Now, what am I going to do when they hit junior year and it's trigonometry? And they coming home talking about, Dad, is this cosine, sine, or tangent in this trick? And I'm like, look, I can't cosine anything for you. Some journeys you got to walk alone. You got to figure this out by yourself. I don't like math. It's hard. It makes my brain hurt. Ooh, matter of fact, it really is going to mess me up if my kids come home with those word problems. No, for real, you remember those word problems? Math can't even stay in its lane. It got to bring English with it too. I hate those word problems. Any math teachers here today? You a math teacher? Can I see your hand? Stop it. Stop with the word problems. It's 
not helping anybody. You know those word problems stress you out? I brought one for you today. Let's see how smart you are. These word problems. Question, if Billy has four pencils and Susie has seven apples, how many pancakes will fit on the roof? What in the world is that? Oh, you want to get, put the answer up there. Put the answer. Purple, because aliens don't wear hats. That's the kind of mess you deal with. Oh, and math, I hate it. Hate math. And a lot of the stuff I learned in math, I feel like I need a refund from the school I went to because I've yet to use it in real life. I've yet to use any of that. Here's what I want to suggest. I'm not hating on our school system. I'm just saying, let's put some classes in there that you will actually use in life. Let's do a class on money management. Yes. Forget these fractions. Show me how to do my taxes. Do a class on my, let's do a class on conflict resolution. People are going to be people. Show me how to deal with the conflict so you don't explode on people and so you don't be passive-aggressive. Are you passive-aggressive? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. Do conflict resolution or, my favorite, how about teach a class on contentment? Who wouldn't sign up for that class? Contentment 101? Put me in the front of the class? Who wouldn't want to learn how to live a life of contentment. Come on, y'all. Is there anything more attractive than somebody who is content? Somebody who is satisfied. Somebody who is cool with where they are. Whether they're high, they're good. Whether they're low, they're good. Teach a class on contentment. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a contentment 101 and you just walk into the class and the teacher is there and say, all right, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to contentment 101 class. We're going to teach you contentment. In fact, if you look at your syllabus, it looks like the table of contents. Actually, it's the table of content. Uh, and we're going to teach you a class today of how you can be content. Now, first of all, I want to let you know this, students, contrary to what your parents told you, you cannot be anything that you put your mind to. Okay? Some of y'all think you're going to be an NBA. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Keisha, you think you can sing? You can. It's not going to happen. You cannot be anything that you put your mind to. You think I want to be a teacher? No. I don't want to do this job, but I'm still fine because I've learned how to be content. That's what I'm going to teach you over the next few weeks. I'm going to teach you to live your life in such a way that whether your car is a Hootie or a Bentley, that whether you shop at Payless, Zara, or Prada, that whether you have multiple homes with the multiplicity of square footage or whether you got a one-bedroom apartment with a mattress, that whether you are single or married, you'll actually be able to live your life satisfied, to be content. Who wouldn't sign up for that class right there? I saved this message on contentment as the last message for the series because hear me, it is the most important message in the series. The greater your contentment, the greater your capacity. The greater your contentment, the greater your capacity. People who have learned the art of contentment will always have the greatest capacity. As a matter of fact, you will never find out what your capacity is until you learn how to be content because capacity and contentment are connected. Capacity and contentment are connected. And who else but the Apostle Paul 
The Apostle Paul, that's who you want to teach a class on contentment. The Apostle Paul is well qualified to teach us about contentment because who else went the full dimension of his capacity? You know the Apostle Paul, the dude that wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. If anybody could teach a class on contentment and capacity, it is the Apostle Paul. Where would we be without the Apostle Paul? This is the dude that gave us our theme verse for the year, Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask, think, or imagine. See, if you're going to teach a class on contentment and capacity, how many of you know you have to have been through some stuff? You have to have gone through some stuff. If your life has been so perfect and you just tiptoeing through the tulips and you've never had any challenges, you never had any adversities, you don't know what it's like to have a setback, you can't teach a class on contentment. But when you've had some high highs and some low lows, when you know what it's like to cash a check and to be in a welfare line, when you've been up and you've been down, then you are qualified to teach a class on contentment. Paul has been through some stuff. You better read your Bible. Paul's the only dude that could prophesy that a ship was going to crash in the storm, but still get on the ship anyway, have the ship crash, sail in on a broken piece, get to the shore, build a fire, have a snake bite him, shake off the snake, put it back in the fire, and keep on preaching. That's somebody that's been through some stuff. Who else but Paul had the power to preach one day, and he started preaching so long that a dude fell asleep in the middle of his sermon, fell out the window and broke his neck. If it was me, I would have done the funeral right there. But now Paul, he laid his hands on the dude, raised him from the dead and went right back to preaching the sermon. He had been through stuff. He'd been whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and flogged and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. That's why they couldn't stop the ministry of Paul because he had capacity. They tried to break his ministry down. They said, Paul, we're going to kill you. He said, that's cool to die as gain. They said, all right then, Paul, we're going to let you live. He said, that's cool too, to live as Christ. They said, all right then, Paul, we're going to make you suffer. He said, that's cool too, because I already know that the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory of God that's going to be revealed in me. I feel like preaching. Paul, <laughs> homeboy had power. Where would you be without Paul? Paul said, one thing I do, pressing towards the things which are ahead, forgetting that which is behind. Where would we be without the apostle Paul who told you to rejoice in the Lord always? I'm going to say it again because some of y'all forgot. Rejoice! Paul was powerful. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when the disciples were trying to cast out some demons and they couldn't cast the demons out. And the demon spoke to the disciples. And look what they said. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Who are y'all? You know you bad when demons know your name. When demons are so nervous, when you step in a room. He had capacity. He'd been through some stuff. He's the one that really gives us a scripture that even if you ain't been in church, you've read it, you've declared it. Paul gave us that powerful scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where would we be without that scripture? We love that scripture, don't we? Oh, we love that scripture. 
We love that scripture so much, it's taken out of context. <laughs> it is on the top 10 list, I believe, of scriptures taken completely out of context. So much out of context, it means it's like completely contradictory to what Paul meant when he said it. Because we love to tag that verse, we copy and paste it on our aspirations, on our ambitions, don't we? On our goals. Some of you got on your mirror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, it's like the speech before the, the pep rally, before the big game. Oh, here we go. Got this presentation at work. Let me get ready. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you go to the presentation, you're like, whew, hope I got that promotion. Don't you do it? We, we appropriate it to any goal. Football players, oh, we're about to go out here, about to get them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Any aspiration, any ambition that we have, we drive through the neighborhood and look at the house that we want. There's that house. I'm tired of this apartment. Whew, I know my credit score ain't quite where it's supposed to be, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, we'll put it towards a spouse we want, a car we want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Put it on every aspiration and ambition. But is that the context of the verse? What is Paul talking about? What are the things that he can do? You got to back it up to the verse. He said, I can have plenty and I can have nothing. He said, I can be full and I can be hungry. He said, I can be abased and I can be abound. He said, I can do all things and the things are not just the good things. They're the things that I don't even want to go through. The things are not just the high things. They're also the low things. Paul says, I know what it's like to go from the bottom to the top and from the top right back down to the bottom. Now that is hard because we all know what to do when we're at the bottom trying to get to the top. But most of us lose our mind when we get to the top and we're brought back down to the bottom. And yet Paul said, I can do it. I, I know what it's like to have the house lose the house and be in the apartment. I can do that thing. I know what it's like to have the spouse and thought I had the marriage of my dreams. I also know what it's like to be 56 and going on a dating app trying to find somebody again. He says, I can do it all. And as long as you keep taking this verse out of context, and you keep putting it towards aspirations and ambitions, you'll find yourself getting bitter and mad at God when that was not the intention of the verse. Context matters. Context matters so much, don't forget where Paul is writing this from. He's not writing this from the Ritz-Carlton in Rome. He's not writing this from some palatial paradise. Paul is writing this from prison. He's in jail all throughout Philippians, and he's talking about joy. He's inside a prison 
telling you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is prisoned for preaching the gospel, and yet he's still talking about, I'm good. As a matter of fact, the church in Philippi was worried about him. Paul's in prison talking about, I'm worried about y'all. I'm good. He said, I'm, I know I'm locked up, but I'm still free because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't worry about me. How are you going to be in a prison and giving more encouragement and hope to the people that are outside of the prison because there's some people that ain't in prison but they're still bound they're still walking around in chains but Paul said I've reached a place of maturity in my life that yes I'm in this prison but the prison is not getting in me I got something on the inside of me called contentment and it's not contingent upon my circumstance I've got stability down on the inside of me that doesn't fluctuate with what I'm going through Somebody say preach, Robert. I'm trying to. Hear me. Contentment is an inside job. And the Apostle Paul learned it. How many of you, you like born and raised in Dallas, Texas? Can I see your hand? You're born and raised in Dallas, Texas. That's what I'm talking about. How many of you just moved to Texas? Just moved to Texas? Come on. Welcome to the great country of Texas. It's so funny. I, especially when I travel, I hear people talk about Texas, especially the summer. They're like, oh. How do you stand the Texas heat? It is so hot. That's what I heard. It's so hot. The humidity, like, ha. How do you survive? It's so hot. You ever had one of those conversations where you told somebody to move to Dallas? Oh, I heard, oh 103? It's so hot. And I always want to tell those people, um, I got air conditioning. Got it in the house. <laughs> got it in my car. I don't live outside. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I got air like you, you acting like <laughs> the outward conditions is where I live. That's not where I spend a majority of my time. I spend a majority of my time in places that have AC. That's what Paul is saying in this text. He's saying, I got AC. I'm always content. I know y'all tripping about the external circumstance, but I don't live out there. I got joy on the inside. I got contentment on the inside. That's how I'm able to keep my mind and my peace. Some of you need to walk around with some AC. Always content because can I tell you nobody is impressed when you give God praise when you got a raise nobody is impressed when you start shouting and thanking God when you finally got the doctor's note that said you're healed nobody is impressed when you start praising God when you got the house when you got the dream when it came to pass that doesn't make anybody be impressed you want to see somebody get impressed it's when you're going through hell when you lost the house when you lost the job but you're still praising like the person that got what they were wanting that's what confuses the enemy is when you gotta praise when you've been through adversity you still raise up your capacity to praise somebody take 10 seconds and give God just the craziest praise that you oh you don't know your praise capacity until you've been through adversity. You ain't really giving God no hallelujah until you lost some things, until you didn't want to come to church, but you still came anyway, until your car broke down, but you Ubered to church to say, God, I still got to give you the praise because you're worth. 
Because your neighbor say, I got AC. Say, I know it's hot, <laughs> but I got AC. I'm always content. I don't live out there. It's hot. I know. But I got air conditioning. Paul, through his life, has reached a place. And he didn't learn this quick. You have to go through stuff to learn it. And that's what tripped me out about contentment, is that Paul, twice in this text that we read, said, I had to learn this. I had to learn it. I had to go to school. I had to learn it. In other words, contentment does not come naturally. No, nobody in here is born content. Oh no, I'm sorry. It is not hardwired in your DNA to be content. Now it is hardwired for you to complain. <laughs> you ain't gotta take no class on complaining. You got it down. You ain't gotta take no class on selfishness or greed. You got it, straight A student. But contentment, you have to learn it. That's what Paul says. So the first thing I want you to know, if you're gonna learn this lesson, is that when it comes to contentment, hear me, you have to learn it while you're living. You gotta learn it while you're living. It's not like it's a one-time class I take and I walk away and I get my degree. No, I have to learn it while I'm living. How else can you know how to trust God when you're at the bottom? Until you're at the bottom. How else can you learn to trust God at the top? Until you're at the top. Ooh, can I say it? He just said it to me. Some of y'all want God to take you to another level and bless you and give you more resources and more finances. You don't even come to church now. You don't even serve him now. Do you really want him to bless? Why would he give you the thing that's going to pull you farther away from him? You got to learn it while you're living it in every season. Paul said, I did not get this in the first year of my life. I didn't get it in the second. Over time, through a myriad of circumstances, I learned it. I think sometimes the people that have the hardest time learning how to be content are the people who have so much and the people who never have enough. I'm going to say it again. Sometimes the people that have the hardest time learning this lesson are the people that have so much and the people that don't have enough. It's hard for them to learn contentment often because the people that have so much can't figure out how I got all this stuff and I'm still not happy. They can't figure it out. How do I have all these things? How do I have all these valuables, but I still don't feel valuable? How do I have this large net worth, but I'm still questioning my worth? They can't comprehend it. And the people that don't have enough are going, if I could just get it, if I could just get the house, oh, if I could just get it like they got it, oh, I know. And I think the people at the top got to have a conversation with the people on the bottom and let the people at the top tell you, bro, I got it and it's still not working, to tell the people at the bottom, for real, I don't believe you. In that car, I'm telling you, man, it drives fast, but it ain't bringing me peace. People at the top, need to have a conversation with the people at the bottom. I'll never forget in Tampa one time I was preaching. I will never forget this. And I was praying for this man at the altar. He was shaking. He was crying so much. He was shaking because he was about to lose his home. They'd done everything they could do the eviction was about to happen. I was praying with him. 
And after I prayed with him, I'm about to leave, and there was one other lady said, I need prayer too. And she said she was losing her home, and she was going through a tough time, crying too. And I prayed with her. And I went in the back, and I didn't know him. I was pre guest preacher. And the pastor said, I saw you praying with that guy. I said, yeah, he's about to be evicted. He said, yeah, we're going to do everything we can to help him. He's going through. He said, I saw you praying with that other lady too. I said, yeah. She said, she's about to lose her home too. He said, yeah, she's about to lose a home. I said, huh? He said, yeah. So her husband is incredibly wealthy, but his business didn't do like it's been doing. He said, so they're about to lose one of their homes, and they're about to lose the yacht. And so she's struggling with going back to her friends and keeping it real with them, saying, we don't have it like we had it. And it was so crazy to me that in the same service, you had people struggling. Now, not to dismiss her pain, the pain was still real. But it was interesting that in one moment at the same church, people struggling with the pain and trying to figure out, will I be okay after this is gone? See, contentment cannot be predicated upon anything external. Contentment is an inside job. It reminds me of what one man prayed in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. He said, Lord, I pray that you neither give me riches. Otherwise, I'll say, who is the Lord? He said, and don't give me poverty either, lest I steal and dishonor your name. He said, Lord, here's what I'm praying for, my daily bread. Just give me enough of what I need to face each day so I'll learn the art of contentment. You have to learn it while you're living it. Paul said, I got to stay at the Four Seasons, and I've been through a bunch of seasons to finally get to a place where I'm learning contentment. Number two, you want to learn this lesson of contentment? I'm just teaching today. Don't you dare compare. Don't you dare compare. You cannot be content if you are playing the comparison game. Hear me. You want to kill your contentment? Just compare your life to somebody else. It is that simple. You want to lose the lesson of contentment? Then just keep doing this. You'll never be content. It is the quickest way to lose contentment is to compare. Don't you dare compare. It's actually happened in this text today. The Apostle Paul is writing Philippians. Some say that this was, you could easily read Philippians and go, this was Paul's favorite church. It was his favorite church of all the churches that he planted. He loved the church at Philippi because they remembered him. They were faithful to him. And he's actually writing this letter not only to encourage them, but he's also writing the letter to thank them for their generous gift. But some scholars suggest that the church at Philippi was actually starting to get in their feelings because Paul had made an appeal to the church at Corinth, to the church at Thessalonica, and they had given larger gifts than the church at Philippi. 
So the church of Philippi was feeling some type of way because they didn't give a gift to Paul as big as these other churches. And Paul's saying, hold on, stop it right there. First of all, I'm good. I don't need anything. Y'all are not my source. He said, I got you to get you to understand that you cannot compare your gift to somebody else. Don't you start playing the comparison game. You are not Thessalonica. You are not the church at Corinth. You are the church at Philippi. And I'm thankful for the gift that you gave. It might not have been big, but you were there for me when other people weren't there for me. Don't start falling into the trap of comparing what you gave to other people because comparison, it will steal your contentment. Don't you dare compare. He says plainly even to the church at Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. This is Paul saying, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says, you are stupid, you are foolish if you're playing this game of comparison. Can I be completely transparent? Comparison is something I have to fight every day and in every season. Here's what's crazy about comparison. Comparison is like a chameleon. You know, you throw a chameleon in a different scenario, it changes to that. You will always in your life have something to compare to somebody else. Some of you don't have kids. You ain't tripping when you see other people's kids. But when you have kids and your kids are acting like Chucky, <laughs> run around the restaurant <laughs> and lost their mind, <laughs> and you look across and you see other people's kids and they eating properly and drinking from the cup. And they're your kids going, ah, licking up under the table. Oh, like, why can't y'all do better? <laughs> I'm telling you, compare, you will have different seasons and opportunities. Go to a fashion week. I promise you, I don't care how good your swag is. Go to a fashion week in New York. I bet you walk away going, I look a mess. What in the world do I have on? Ah! Come on, you've done it. You've been content. You ever been content with your house? Cool with cool with your apartment till you walked up in somebody else's house. Saw stuff you didn't even know was possible to buy. Oh, they make a flat screen that big? Yeah, it's it's one of six. Oh, I didn't know. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Don't you dare compare. You always have an opportunity to do it. Ooh, you ought to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when Paul is charging up the church at Corinth because they start putting the comparison game on him. They started comparing him to Apollos because Apollos was the preacher back in that day. Oh, Apollos could preach. If Apollos got a microphone, he would preach. Paul wasn't that great of a preacher. Remember, a dude fell asleep in his sermon. <laughs> Paul was better at writing. And so they were comparing Paul to Apollos. They say, Paul, all you can do is write little letters. Wish you could preach like Apollos. And Paul charges them up. He said, first of all, you're immature. He says, second of all, who am I and who is Apollos? One person plants, another person waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. Don't try to put me in your little comparison game. I can't beat Apollos at being Apollos, and Apollos can't beat me at being me. I gotta be who God has called me to be, and Apollos gotta be who God has called him to be. Thank God 
God that Paul didn't start playing the comparison game and say, well, let me stop writing and let me start preaching. You wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament if Paul would have played into the comparison game. Thank God that Paul kept writing them letters. If Paul stopped writing, we wouldn't even have anything to read. Translation, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You're going to get in somebody else's lane and you're going to dismiss the very purpose for which God created you. You better stay in your lane to get into your full capacity. Don't you dare compare. Can I just be transparent? It's the only way I know how to be. When I was traveling and preaching, it was easy for me to play the comparison game with preachers. Because you go to the conference, there'd be like seven preachers on the list. Oh, and I used to hate it when I'd be last. Last on the list. The closer, especially when you went early and you sat through everybody's sermon. Oh, the devil just played mind games with me. You're not as funny as him. You're not as profound as him. You preach too long. Look at how short and concise he was. You do too much. You sweat. He sat on a stool and said more than you've ever said. I'm telling you, I'll get it. if I'm not, I started playing that game, then you get up there and you start doing it. You're like, oh, hey, trying to be funny and then trying to be profound. Oh, as I was studying and exegeting the complexities of the, t- you start doing stuff that's not even you. I did it one time. I've, I've shared this before. I remember preaching in Australia. Biggest conference I ever preached and I was the last to preach. I was so nervous. I lost my voice and felt a weight. And I thought the weight was because of the magnitude of the crowd. God said, no, it's not the magnitude of the crowd. It's because you're trying to be somebody I never created or called you to be. You're comparing what I gave you to what I gave them. And you're always going to lose your joy, your peace, and your contentment trying to be somebody else. Now I don't travel and preach as much. Now I have a different comparison game I'm fighting. Let me illustrate it for you. Y'all got my people that'll help me. Y'all come up here real quick. Just stand right here in the light. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. What's her name? Hollow. Harlow or hollow? Hollow. I have an accent. Okay, hollow. Hey. Okay. Tell me your name again. I know your name. Cameron and Harlow. Cameron... Can you, uh, can you dance? A little bit. A little bit? Okay, just, just do whatever dance you want. Just dance real quick. Just dance. Hey. It's okay. good. Harlow, can, can you dance? Let's see. No, don't help. Don't help. Don't help. Go. That's all you got? That's it? Okay. Um, you, you know your ABCs? Just, just give it to me. A, B, C, D. Oh, wild dancing. Come on, yeah. E, F, G, S, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, A, Q, R, S, T, Now, I know my ABCs. Next 
man, Q-Tip, the trap version. Arlo? That's it? All right. Question. How many months? About to be one. So, 11 months. She's hit one. How old? 15. 15. This is the comparison game I'm playing in my head right now. Because Social Dallas is five months old. Don't let the crowd in here fool you. It's a five-month-old church. And I find myself scrolling through the ground, comparing our church to churches that are 15, 15 years old. How come we don't have cameras like that? See Joe Osteen, you can see the wrinkles and the sweat on his face. How come we ain't got cameras where you can see my sweat? I ain't got wrinkles, but you need to be able to see my sweat. What is this, VHS? Give me some 4K. <laughs> so look, we got crowds. Don't you got the swoop cameras? Get us some swoop cameras in here. We can see. Comparing a five-month-old to a 15-year-old. You want to take the beauty from something special? Just compare it to something else. You want to take the beauty of something significant away? Just start comparing it to something else. Now, here's what's crazy. Harlow has the capacity to do everything that she did. But if you're judging based off the timing, You've got the capacity to do some things. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard the things that God is going to do in you and through you. But it might not be the time yet. It might not be the season yet. So why don't you wait and just be successful on this level? And God says, I'll make sure you get to this level. Oh, I'm telling you. It's in you. But if you're comparing this to this, there's always going to be frustration. And here's what's crazy. It's even when Harlow is here and we've been planted, you know, 15 years and I'm still looking the way I look, but hairline receding a little bit, a little gray in my beard. And she can do her ABCs and she can dance. Harlow still isn't Cameron. She's still completely different than her. You are the greatest you that the world will ever see. Don't waste another minute or day losing your peace and contentment trying to compare your life to somebody else. Thank you so much. Worship team, join me. Somebody give God some praise today. Don't you dare! How do I get contentment? I gotta learn it while I live it. How do I get contentment? How do I learn the lesson? Don't you dare compare. I'm telling you, there will always be something in your life 
that somebody will have more of, that somebody will do better. They always say that adage, you know, that little saying, the grass is greener on the other side. It is. Sometimes it's greener because it's artificial turf. It ain't even real. And there you are. How do I get it that green? It's not even real. Don't let they post fool you. Sometimes it's greener because it's artificial turf. Oh, can I take that metaphor f further? Sometimes it is greener. And it's not artificial. It's real. But you ain't seen that water bill, though. You better be happy <laughs> with your little bitty yard that's green than to look over at somebody's grass who is greener and got more acreage, but that property tax and that water bill will give you a nervous breakdown. What they have to do to upkeep it, how many people they gotta have come cut the yard would make you lose your mind. You don't know the full story. I'm telling you, I play this game sometimes. I play this game, I'm gonna give it to you for free. Sometimes I'll go on Zillow. I will. And I'll be in whatever city, and I'll look at the most expensive house in the city on Zillow that's for sale, most expensive. And I'll dream, and I'll be like, ooh, I'll put that in that room, da 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 and I'll just have fun dreaming. But then, I'll scroll down, and I'll look at the property tax, and I'll go, if somebody gave me this house, I couldn't afford it. If somebody just said, I'm gonna bless you with it, I couldn't afford the payments on the property tax. I couldn't afford the electric bill or the gas bill or the water bill. That wouldn't be a blessing to me, that'd be a burden. I had a friend who got blessed with the Bentley and gave it right back when he saw what it was gonna cost to insure it. <laughs> Some of the stuff you think you want, you don't even realize it's gonna rob your contentment. They say that we spend the first half of our lives giving up our health to get money. Then we spend the second half of our life giving up our money to get our health. Playing the comparison game. Trying to measure up to somebody you were never created or called to be. Research shows that you actually have an increase in insomnia the more your income goes up. Studies have shown it that insomnia increases when your income increases. It's more to stress about. It's more to worry about. Some of the stuff you're looking at and the people you're looking at, they're not giving you the full picture. I heard this story once of this dude that had this really nice watch. He was with this other friend, and he kept bragging about this watch. This incredible, expensive, fancy watch. And the whole time, they were like at a baseball game. And the whole game, this dude was talking about this brand new exclusive watch and how it was self-movement and all the little details. And this friend is just getting annoyed by him talking about this watch. He said, yeah, it can do this. and It can go this far in the water. It's a one of six. And this friend is just getting annoyed keeps talking the whole game yeah and look at this it's alligator skin on this strap that just keep this friend is getting annoyed his watch is 7.99 little cheap casio watch and so finally this friend kept talking about the watch all the stuff it could do 
So finally this friend out of frustration takes off his little $7 watch, throws it on the ground, and starts stomping on it. He goes, can your watch do that? Everybody was like, no, no, actually it can't, no. <laughs> Sometimes the things we want are causing more stress. Don't you dare compare because you'll lose your contentment. Third thing I'm going to give you and give it to you real quick. You, you, you want to learn the lesson of contentment? You want to learn the lesson of contentment? Know what you need. Know what you need. This incredible salutation of the Philippians. Paul ends it by saying, while he's in prison, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Church of Philippi, I know you're worried about me. Don't be worried about me. I'm good. All I know is my God will supply your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul, are you sure you're good? Yeah, I'm good. You're in prison. I know, I got AC. But Paul, you ain't got that much food. I know. But Paul, you're chained to a prisoner. I know. But Paul, how are you good? I got what I need. What do you need? Some paper and a pen to tell you that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Your needs, not your wants, not your wishes, not your greed. He'll supply your need. You want to grow up and be spiritually mature? Lift up your hands to God and say, God, I don't even know to know what I need. But I'm going to trust you through the highs and the lows that you know what I need. Come on, some of you have already been there. How many of you can look over your life at a person or a thing that you thought you needed and you thought you were going to die because it or he or she walked away. You thought it was the end and look at you now. you still here. you still standing and the thing you thought you needed in one season, God had to reveal to you, you did not need that. You thought it was a need. How many of you can look at 2020 when some stuff was stripped away from you and you stood in your house, stuff you stuff that walked away but you can say God I didn't even know what I needed but I'm finally getting to the place in life where I realize that as long as I got you I got every single thing that I need you can take the house you can take the car you can take the friends you can take the Instagram followers but just give me Jesus and if I have him if I have what I need it's easier to shout about than it is to live. Corey Tim Boone said, you don't know he's all you need until he's all you have. And some of us have got to get this in our heart that he knows what I need, so I will be content. Would you stand to your feet today? Your contentment and your capacity are connected. The greater your contentment, the greater your capacity. How is this Apostle Paul able to do so much? Because he learned the lesson of contentment.
heads are bowed, eyes are closed in here today. If I was the enemy and I wanted to steal your peace and steal your joy and steal your contentment, I would get you to buy into the lie and the myth that if you just got that, whatever that is for you, you would finally be content. I would make you keep reaching and running after the promotion and after the bigger house and after the bigger paycheck and after the bigger gig and after the bigger stage. I would have you continually chasing it till you ran yourself weary, realizing this can't even give me the thing I want. It's a story of a king who told a peasant one day that if you can walk throughout the kingdom and however far you walk, that property is yours throughout the kingdom. However far you can walk, that's your property. The peasant got so excited he didn't walk. He wanted to get more land. He started running, ran so fast that by the end of the day, he collapsed and had a heart attack and died trying to chase after something, trying to chase after more. That's what the enemy wants, you to keep running and chasing till you lose sleep, till you pass out, rather than walking at the pace of grace, saying, God, I will be content. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed in here today, but if you're in here today and you'd be so honest to say, you know what? I need to receive the lesson of contentment. Because hear me, you're already in class. You're going through something right now. And God is trying to teach you through it that as long as you have him, you have what you need. And I believe today God wants to give somebody the gift of contentment. I'm going to be honest, it doesn't happen in one moment. But there is something about having a resolve to say, God, no matter the highs and the lows, I'm going to trust you. It is something about coming to him helplessly saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me when I'm at the mountaintop to not forget that God is God. Help me when I'm in the valley. curse God and walk away but in every circumstance to be content if that's you and you say you know what I'm going to receive to learn the lesson would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say God I, I'll receive the lesson I'll receive the lesson thank you Jesus thank you God so many hands lifted hallelujah you can put it right back down heads are still bowed eyes are still closed if you're in here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and I'd love to give you that opportunity. We say this all the time at social, you can always come home. And maybe you haven't realized that part of the reason you can't get satisfaction in the things that you're running to is because they were never created to satisfy you. 
C.S. Lewis says it best. He said, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this present world can satisfy, there's only one explanation. I was made for another world. I'm telling you, you were made for another world. And this earth is not your home. You can keep running to things to satisfy, but your Savior is standing before you today saying, you can come home. You can come to the well that will never run dry. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.